Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Rushville. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Rush County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case to love The Hammer Nigel Show. My name is Nigel Hammer right over there with a special guest. She is a professor of political science at the University of Indianapolis. Friend of our show, Dr. Laura Wilson joins us. So, doctor, let's get down to the nitty gritty here. Is this Republican primary over like, is this thing donezo? <laughs> Donald Trump won overwhelmingly yesterday. Second place was 30 percentage points behind. That was Ron DeSantis. And he visited every county and spent more money there than anybody. Is this thing over? I think in one word, yes, mm. quite frankly. And we hate to say that, right? Because we've only had one primary. It was just Iowa. We've got New Hampshire next week, and we'll have South Carolina. And we're still... A month and a half away from Super Tuesday and, of course, four months away from our primary. Um, But you mentioned uh, Ron DeSantis coming in second by literally like 30 percentage points behind, um, having visited every county but not having won one. Only Nikki Haley won a county. Um, And otherwise, Donald Trump really dominated. And it shouldn't necessarily be surprising because that's what the polls kept showing us very consistently that he was leading the polls by 50 at some points by 60 percent but when you're looking in terms of the Iowa caucuses and I think we knew it was going to be very cold so you may not have the great turnout that you necessarily have in the past Uh, people were tempering their expectations and Trump voters showed out in droves um, and he was wildly successful certainly because of that. Talk talk a little bit about the Iowa caucuses and Exactly why it's so different from any other process um, that states use. It seems like sort of an old, antiquated type of style of doing things. It's very unique. And I agree that it's old. It's not what everybody else is. But the, the idea of the caucuses is you pick your first choice first, right? And then you go to your second and third. It's very similar to a ranked choice a preference voting system. And if that does not sound familiar to people, it's because we don't use that in our country. Most of our elections are you pick your candidate. It's not, well, if I can't have my first choice, I'd like my second. And if I can't have my second, I pick my third. Um, but it's very unique to Iowa's culture. And I don't see them abandoning that anytime soon. That's been a, a large a large part of their history. And they're very proud of the caucus system. I don't know in terms of a caucus versus a primary, if it would have made a difference in the outcome, though. When you're looking at Donald Trump, he won a majority uh, in terms of over 50 percent. And that's people's first choice in terms of a candidate. This is what polling had shown us all along. But until you have a primary, whether it's a primary election or a primary caucus, right, we just say, oh, polls are just a, a temperature check in a moment in time. And now we have that temperature check in a very real way that shows at least in Iowa, for their caucus system, Donald Trump dominated for those Republican voters. He did dominate, but I'm going to throw some numbers out here at you, Dr. Laura. Uh, 110,000 uh, 110, of 752,000 registered Republicans voted in Iowa last night. The first votes cast for uh, a presidential election 
They managed 15% turnout. What are we to glean from those numbers? <laughs> well, I, people in South Carolina and New Hampshire would be really quick to add Iowa doesn't represent everyone in the country. And, of course, we should all add that neither do New Hampshire or South Carolina. Um, it is a small group of people. And I think a lot of people are looking to New Hampshire and saying, okay, um, we would expect Donald Trump to probably do better in Iowa than New Hampshire. But how much better? What would we expect to see? Because uh, typically, if you're looking at your candidate spread here, um, uh, Donald Trump does better with the, the libertarian maybe versus uh, Haley, who might do better with the traditional conservative. That's what it's been looking like so far. And so if you see a difference in New Hampshire, that would be indicative of the fact that you have different voters. We were talking about 15 percent of one out of 50 states. I think it is a humble reminder that this is just the beginning of the primary process. But there is a critical mass that happens at the same time. And so the fact that Iowa is just one of 50 states, sure, right? but they are the very first. And then when you go through New Hampshire, South Carolina, Super Tuesday, us poor people here in Indiana that we don't get our primaries until May, <laughs> most of the time it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. And I remember back in 2016 and it wasn't. But, guys, this doesn't look like 2016. Donald Trump wasn't winning by a majority. Right. And, and that's the thing, doctor. Like, like, I was talking to Nige earlier today. Like, the wind chill last night in Iowa was minus 45 in some spots. Now, if I've got my parents going out, or if somebody's got their grandparents going out, because you said it earlier, Iowa loves this quirky caucus system they have. If they've got to park 200 feet away from the door, if they've got to park across the street, I don't necessarily think I want them going out in those temperatures. That was dangerous, cold weather last night. And I know it sounds like an excuse, but it was also kind of a foregone conclusion. Like, doctor, I know you're an Alabama football fan. Would you sit outside in a game in Tuscaloosa if it were minus 45, (laughs) if you knew Bama was going to beat their opponent by 30 points? Never. Absolutely never. And even if I didn't know if we were going to win, I think I would tune in and watch that one on TV. Honestly, in Alabama, below 50 is cold. No, I I think there's a very real point about that. And several people talked about how this was the coldest caucus in decades for Iowa. It certainly impacts voter turnout. And and granted, it's cold across the country at this point. I I don't know what it's going to look like a week from now, or it gets warmer, obviously, by the time we get to Super Tuesday. I, I think those are the points... So for all the people listening that are uh, Republicans but not Trump fans, you opened, is it a foregone conclusion right now? Yes, I I think that's what it looks like. It's not to say that other states won't support Donald Trump, but the critical mass he has, the tremendous victory that we saw in Iowa certainly point, and they reaffirmed the polling, right, that he is very successful among those Republican primary voters. And I, I think we're going to see similar trends coming up here in the next successive primaries, too. We're chatting with Dr. Laura Wilson, professor of political science at the University of Indianapolis. So if we are to buy the polling, it looks like Nikki Haley is doing well in New Hampshire and then her home state of South Carolina. And when I say doing well, beating Ron DeSantis is just beating Ron DeSantis enough for Nikki Haley to stay in this thing if she's still getting beat by 15, 20 points in these upcoming states. For a short period of time, sure. I I think it's fine. I I do think she underperformed pretty significantly at Iowa because DeSantis beat her. And recently the polling had shown that she was leading, but we knew that she would likely do better in New Hampshire than Iowa. And we'll see if that rings true or if Iowa is the beginning of the end. I I think for both 
um, DeSantis and for Haley, you know, getting up there, being second place is fine. It's your quote unquote ticket out of Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina. But you can only you can only lose so many times. Right. And especially when you're losing by very wide margins. And I feel like that's one of the most noticeable differences that people need to remember versus 2016 when you're looking at the caucus system, is that right now Donald Trump winning by over 50 percent, getting a majority was not something you saw eight years ago. And so for Haley or for DeSantis, sure, second place is still good. And they're certainly vying between themselves, beating each other up for second and third. And we saw Asa Hutchinson, who people could quickly forget was still in the race, announced that he was suspending his campaign. Vivek Wanswami has suspended his campaign. They're narrowing very quickly. And this feels like the kind of Republican primary where the decisions can be made earlier in the season than it maybe necessarily has been in the past. Do you think there's somebody inside DeSantis's campaign or Nikki Haley's campaign saying, look, just beat whoever it is, beat second place. You've got to be in second place because in the event some illegal stuff happens with Donald Trump and he's not allowed to be on a ballot or a judge says this or a judge says that, you may be the next person up. Is that thought process going on in the camps of DeSantis or Nikki Haley, you think? I'm sure it is. I I think that's a very valid strategy. And you remember uh, back in in 2008 when they would talk about Sarah Palin being a heartbeat away from president. And part of that was a reference to John McCain's health. But the idea of being second best, especially if the first person drops out, that runner up, that status really does matter. I I don't know. I don't know how those things are going to play out. um, But I do think that's at least part of the strategy and part of the impetus for staying in there. The hardest thing, though, is if you keep being second place or keeping third place and you're losing by large margins, right? Your supporters are going to start to wane too. And I think there is that critical mass, especially if it's happening very quickly and people are coalescing around one candidate. It makes it harder, not that it's a bad strategy, but I do think it makes it harder to be that person who hangs in there even after losing successive primaries or coming consistently in second or third by very large margins. You made me think of something when you mentioned Sarah Palin. Uh, back there, uh, and she was severely smeared by the media when John McCain picked her. But does does overall does it matter who Trump picks for his vice president? Does that factor in any way, shape, or form? Um, people at the voting booth. You know, I I always waver on this one. A lot of times we talk about it as a political marriage, um, and I do think the selection of Mike Pence was really thoughtful because you you know you want to compliment. Um, what you have in terms of the candidates. So you have something for everyone, or at least a majority of American voters. Um, So I I think there is some value in it, but quite frankly, most of the time voters are going to be looking at the president, the presidential candidate themselves. So I I think there is a little bit there, and that might be something, quite frankly, that Donald Trump is looking at right now. Maybe, I honestly, Haley and DeSantis may be thinking too in their calculations. If they're able to make it past, who would they select? And you do usually want to balance if you were able to balance out that ticket. She is with the University of Indianapolis, a professor of political science, Dr. Laura Wilson. Doctor, as always, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me.